Since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, researchers and clinicians alike have strived to address the mysteries surrounding this virus, including its long-term side effects on patients. And while much focus has been placed on long haulers, what we do need to know about the emerging syndrome pointing to COVID-19's neurological and cognitive impacts. You're listening to Neural Frontiers on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Jerome Lisk, and joining me today to discuss post-COVID-19 neurological syndrome is Dr. Tissa Wijerotne, who is the director of the Department of Neurology and Stroke Services at the University of Melbourne. Dr. Wijerotne, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Liska. Thank you for having me today. To start us off, Dr. Wijeratne, what exactly is post-COVID-19 neurological syndrome and how is it different from long COVID? For the first time in medicine, as best as I can say, there was a group of people who were social media users, specifically younger people with asymptomatic acute COVID-19, started to coin a term called long-haul COVID or long-haulers. You may recall that we saw reports coming from Europe in particular and some from China, basically saying that younger people with uh, acute COVID-19, irrespective of the symptoms that they had, mostly they no symptoms or mild symptoms, but they were experiencing persistent fatigue, persistent brain fog, persistent tiredness, headaches, dizziness, months into the illness. And this is a condition which was actually defined by patients. They coined the term long-haul COVID at that time. And the post-COVID-19 neurological syndrome that we coined was basically the same. During the early stages of our studies, we realized the remarkable similarity between how human brain reacts to a vascular insult to the brain and COVID-19. We published this in Frontiers and what we observed is when your brain gets injured with a vascular insult, you actually get a local inflammatory reaction and the whole lot of inflammatory messengers or chemicals would be released around the injury site. But at the same time, when these chemicals get released, because our blood circulate throughout the body, it actually not only end up as a local inflammatory reaction, it become a global inflammatory reaction also. This is the reason that we started to see a whole lot of other things such as post-stroke fatigue, post-stroke depression, post-stroke anxiety. And we published a large number of manuscripts last year describing some of these things to the world. And when we studied the post-COVID-19 patients with persistent symptoms, we exactly observe the same thing. So then we told the world that the post-COVID-19 neurological involvement is to be expected. It should not be regarded as some sort of an exception. Now, you might wonder that why brain? Why the, the post-COVID-19 neurological syndrome? Why couldn't it be post-COVID-19 muscular skeletal syndrome or respiratory syndrome or cardiac syndrome? I think it is important to realize that your brain and my brain is the central processing unit of who we are. If I become jealous, if I get angry, if I get upset, or if I get excited, most of those things are actually originated in your brain. And similarly, brain not only has this sort of a pathway, when we are under stress, say for an example, when we are in a fight or if you wanted to run away from a fight, although largely these pathways are driven by hormonal systems, these things also get controlled by brain, which you and me both know very well as hypothalamic, pituitary, 
adrenal system. So all these things seem to play a key role after an insult to the brain, including COVID-19. And if we focus on the overall risk, would you say that asymptomatic patients are at the same risk as post-COVID-19 neurological syndrome patients who were hospitalized due to severe symptoms? It's too early to answer that question, Dr. Lis. Personally, I feel that long-haul COVID or post-COVID-19 neurological syndrome patients appear to be coming from asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic patients rather than the acutely hospitalized patients. According to the sort of World Health Organization reports and John Hopkins University report, we have well over 220 million COVID-19 infected people worldwide. We both know that the real number should be at least twice as this because we don't get to test everybody in every country due to, due to access and the people do not presenting to COVID-19 testing centers, et cetera, et cetera. But even if you go by the, the underestimated figure, 220 plus million, you can see that the number of people living with effects of COVID is well over 195 million. If you take the, the estimated numbers, we have witnessed about 30% to be experiencing post-COVID-19 neurological syndrome. Other groups the described anything from 70 to 90%. So overall, it is fair to estimate that right now, we should have at least 100 million people living with at least one or two symptoms of post-COVID-19 neurological syndrome worldwide. For those of you just tuning in, you're listening to Neural Frontiers on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Jerome Liss, and I'm speaking with Dr. Tissa Widgerotne about his research on post-COVID-19 neurological syndrome. So Dr. Widgerotne, now that you're giving us an understanding of your research, let's apply it to practice. What signs should we be looking for in our patients who have tested positive for COVID-19, and how long might it take for those signs to appear? It's an interesting question. The, I have seen the, some patients come into us with symptoms 12 months down the track. So they get COVID-19, no problems whatsoever for about 12 months. 12 months later, they come to us saying that they have been experiencing brain fog and they have been having trouble doing multitasking and they have been feeling excessively tired and washed out and drained. And occasionally they have been experiencing dizziness. Again, the, the true clinical picture and true clinical phenotype of post-COVID-19 neurological syndrome or long-haul COVID is evolving. But to answer your question, what should be the things that we should be looking for and how long we should be looking for them uh, is this. I think uh, we just have to keep an open mind uh, uh, anytime after the COVID-19 infection. And these symptoms uh, are wide variety of them. They would go from headache, uh, tiredness, uh, the fatigue, uh, brain fog, uh, dizziness, uh, tingling, numbness, uh, speech difficulty, uh, the difficulty, the performing the usual tasks that they used to do. I think the overarching major theme is uh, fatigue, uh, brain fog, and uh, inability to work. Any uh, ongoing symptoms where you don't feel that uh, you couldn't do things that you could do before. Uh, anytime since the COVID-19 infection, uh, it is uh, an opportunity for you to ask uh, this question. And so what steps can we take to ensure a better quality of life for those patients suffering from post-COVID-19 neurological syndrome? 
That's a great question. The, what I normally tell my patients is just because uh, you have post-COVID-19 neurological syndrome, you don't have to let post-COVID-19 neurological syndrome have you. Say, for an example, I suffer from migraine, but I never let uh, migraine have me. I have made uh, migraine a tiny part of my life and I get on with my life uh, as best as I can during my time on this planet. Uh, so I say the same thing to post-COVID-19 neurological syndrome patients. Uh, I also tell them that uh, while it is an evolving story, this is primarily driven by how your brain is reacting to the insult that you had. Uh, therefore, practicing uh, the all superb brain healthy tips uh, is going to be significantly useful for your brain to fight this. Uh, so I say to them that uh, eat healthy. That means uh, lots of fruits and nuts and vegetables, uh, uh, the cut back alcohol, no smoking, no recreational drugs, uh, no chemicals that are harmful for your brain and, and your body. And as much as possible, listen to your body and keep yourself physically active uh, as much as possible. Then uh, the, I also tell them that uh, learning a new thing, learning a new task, uh, reading non-fiction books, uh, uh, the keeping your uh, mental sanity sane is quite helpful for brain health also. We all know that the music, uh, art, uh, the, all those things uh, are quite helpful to the promote better brain health uh, also. And I also the, ask them to practice uh, mindfulness. Uh, and I basically simply tell them that be the nicest human being that you can be. Be nice to each other, be kind to each other, be compassionate to each other. Uh, they basically help you to grow better neuronal networks uh, in the brain. So those are the sort of things uh, that uh, the, I do. And and then those patients who demonstrate uh, evidence of uh, associated uh, anxiety, depression, uh, other psychiatric comorbidities with the help of uh, uh, psychology and psychiatric colleagues, uh, uh, I treat them uh, in a multidisciplinary way. Well, there's clearly still a lot to be discovered when it comes to this virus and its far-reaching impacts. And I want to thank my guest, Dr. Tissa Wijeratne for joining me to discuss his research that's shedding light on the post-COVID neurological syndrome. Dr. Wijeratne, it was great having you on the program. Thank you so much, Dr. Liss. Stay safe and stay well. I am Dr. Jerome Liss. To access this and other episodes in our series, visit reachmd.com slash neurofrontiers, where you can be part of the knowledge. Thanks for listening.